What a gift to be together. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. The chosen frozen. Here we are. Sit closer together. It's warmer that way. <laughs> Not central eating. Okay, let's get serious. No, I'm not very good at getting serious, you know that. I learned a very helpful um, attitude, skill, um, early on in preparation for ministry, and it's simply called RFA. I don't know if you've ever heard of RFA. We need to close the door of the tank store. Somebody's already left. Good start. RFA. Know what RFA means? Ready for anything. Ah. Ready for anything. It's really a great mentality to have as a child of God. It's very important that we're ready for anything because I don't know if you've noticed uh, that God is always up to something. Even when it doesn't seem like anything's happening, even in the wilderness season of our lives, God is always up to something. And nothing ever takes him by surprise. So if we're ready for anything, we, we, we begin each day and we move through each day with a sense of expectation. That we are going to encounter the living God in the big and the small, in the loud, in the quiet, in the intense, in the calm, and we're going to see him at work in the lives of those around us, and we're going to see him at work in our lives. So we need to learn to expect the unexpected. We need to adopt that attitude as we serve God. No two days are the same. Never. God's always at work. And if we, if we live that way, it certainly changes and brings us out of the humdrum and the dull and the boring and the routine. And as we look at Acts this morning, sorry, I can't take that right now. I'm sorry, Jan. Take a message for me. Thank you. Um, as we go uh, turn to Acts this morning, we, we are a little, dare I say it, a bit of a transitionary section before we move into chapter 10. But it's 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 not insignificant. It's quite amazing. And there's two glorious testimonies, two amazing stories that take place in the lives of a man called Aeneas and a lady called Tabitha. What a beautiful name, Tabitha. So let's read that together, Acts 9, from 32 to 43. And it says, as Peter traveled about the country. So... There is a pattern, there is a program, there is a purpose in what God is doing, but the disciples are obediently following that, and they don't know what's going to be next, but they have that sense of expectation, and they're fulfilling the command, the commission of Jesus, that make disciples wherever you are, make disciples in your going. Too often we still emphasize that go in the Great Commission, when the important thing, the main verb is make disciples wherever you happen to be. That's actually a very um, realistic translation of that. Make disciples 
wherever you happen to be. So as Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the saints in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, a paralytic who had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and take care of your mat. Make your bed, man. Immediately, Aeneas got up. He'd been paralyzed for eight years. We don't know how, we don't know what the disease was, but eight years is a long time. Get up and take your mat. Immediately he got up. All those living in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. So God, the Holy Spirit, used this healing to draw people's attention to him and to bring them to himself. Verse 36, in Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha, which when translated is Dorcas, who was always doing good and helping the poor. She's like a female Barnabas. Remember Barnabas, the son of encouragement? Always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died. And her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa. Now you might remember Joppa from the Old Testament. The story of Jonah. Lydda was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them. And when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Precious acts of love should make clothing for people. And now they were more precious still because that's all that remained. But it remained. Verse 40 tells us Peter sent all out of the room and then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up or arise or be raised. (laughs) I don't know if you've ever read this portion before, but don't ever get used to this. Don't ever get blasé about this. He said to her, Tabitha, be raised. She got... She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. You're all sitting there like this is an everyday thing. (laughs) Have you seen lots of these? I'm sorry if I'm boring you. (laughs) She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. What would you do? If a dead body sat up and looked at you. 
But he didn't do that. Peter didn't do that. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called the believers and the widows and presented her to them alive. (laughs) I love the commentary in verse 42. This became known all over Joppa. Duh. Like, I bet it did. And many people believed in the Lord. What happened when Aeneas was healed? Let's go back up. Verse 35, all those who lived in Lydon Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. This became known all over Joppa. And I bet it was on the front page of the newspapers. And the headlines the next morning. How many breakfast conversations started with, you're not going to believe what I saw on Twitter. You won't believe what's on Instagram this morning. Became known all over Joppa and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. Now that's very unique and very interesting. That's a bit of a segue into chapter 10. That's where Peter is staying when he gets this call from Cornelius, and we'll get there. But it's for, ten, for Peter to stay with a tanner, tanners were considered unclean because they worked with carcasses of animals, dead bodies all the time. And it was a very smelly business and, and an unclean occupation. But God is working in Peter's life. And he lives for those days with a tenor named Simon. I just love these little, apparently incidental little bits of information, you know, in scriptures, because this is real life. These are real events. These things are happening. He was chilling out there with a tenor named Simon. So these two amazing events, two, dare we say, unexpected events are spoken of within a few Verses. So, if we're going to learn to expect the unexpected, if we're going to be ready for anything, firstly, we need to expect to be used by God. Is there in our hearts, in our lives, in our minds, an expectation that today I am an instrument? In the hands of the living God. I can be a blessing. I can minister grace and peace and love. Maybe it's just a look, a smile, a greeting to a passerby. We never know what's going on in people's lives. But God always does. And he's always at work. And we need to expect to be used By God, we know so well Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. But don't forget verse 10. For we are God's workmanship, 
Each one of us is a poem written by God. Not, uh, you know, not created by ChatGPT, but a good old school poem written by God for his glory. And he wants people to read that poem. He wants people to see our lives. For we are God's poem, created in Christ Jesus. What's the purpose of that? As amazing as it is, but there's always a purpose. To do good works. And don't forget the last part of verse 10. Don't miss it. To do good works, which God prepared in advance. For us to do. There is such a wonderful reality of destiny in the life of every believer. We're here on purpose with a purpose. We're here for the glory of God. And that is a daily adventure. What God, what's on your agenda today? You know, we come to prayer, we ask God, you know, I used to have a sign on my bedroom door when I was a kid, Lord bless this mess. Right under that. Right under there was another sign. This mess is a place. It's always used to hear this place is a mess. You just turn it around. This mess is a place. But let's not ask God to bless our mess. Let's work with him to sort out the mess so we can be available to serve others. And we don't have to be perfect to serve. We're just forgiven. We cannot use I'm not ready. As an excuse. You're ready. God created you. He called you to himself. He's empowered you by the spirit. He's given you gifts. How many sermons have you heard? I'm still amazed that people listen to more than one sermon a week. People, oh, I was listening to these sermons this week. How many did you listen to? Have you any idea how long it takes to prepare a sermon? You have the goal to listen to more than one? And you're not even doing the one that you heard about in church. And then you're listening to more online and not doing that either. So we're indicting ourselves with all these sermons we hear. But my point is we are ready. We are equipped. We are prepared. And we need to expect the unexpected. For we are God's poems created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance. And I always like linking that with Psalm 139. Especially the portion that says, For your eyes saw my unformed body. I was not hidden from you when I was woven together in the secret place. And every day ordained for me was written in your book before even one of them came to be. For we are God's poetry, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works. We don't do good works to be saved. We don't do good works to praise, to impress God. We don't take communion to earn God's favor. We do these things as a response to his abounding grace and goodness. We need to, be, we need to expect to be used by God. And please, 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 pretty please, 
Let's stop comparing ourselves with each other. Man, that's a waste of time. And what we're actually doing is telling God he made a mistake. Not advisable. Oh, I'm not like, I'm not like you. I can't play the piano, Sharon. I'm, I'm not like you. The first thing we should say to that is hallelujah. I mean, we could probably do with a couple more Sharons, but you definitely don't want any more of me. Don't compare yourself with others. Focus on Jesus. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Man, if we just focus on Jesus, we will sort out so many problems. So many problems. So what what stops us being used by God? All kinds of things. But let's boil it down. Keep it simple. Keep it short. Sense of inferiority. Which I hate to admit it is just inverted pride because the focus is still on myself. So if I keep talking about myself, telling people how useless I am, I'm still proud because I'm still talking about myself. I'm still self-focused. And often fear, fear of all kinds of things. Oh, man, fear. How many flavors of fear? We had an ice cream place when I was growing up, Baskin and Robbins, 31 flavors. And my eyes popped out of my head when I walked into that place. Indecision, left and right. It's like a chameleon. I don't know which flavor to have. How many flavors of fear are there? Fear of all kinds of things. What if this doesn't work? What if I fail? All kinds of fear. My dad taught me to say, well, what if it does work? What if it does It's like the people going to the promised land. The spies went out. They came back. Ten said those giants are too big to, to hit. Josh and Caleb said, are you kidding me? Those guys are too big to miss. Let's go get them. Fear. Oh, the giants are going to eat our children. Who inherited the land? The children. The children. So listening to a wonderful, watching a wonderful testimony this week um, of a missionary woman in, in Uganda. I hate when the Americans say Uganda. No, don't they? No, nobody in Africa says Uganda. Anyway, uh, in Uganda, and her prayer was, Lord, take me where nowhere else, no one else wants to go. John Buchanan sent it to me, so this is his fault. But um, amazing testimony. I won't give you his number, but maybe you'll send it to her. Send it around. Amazing. Send me where no one else wants to go. And she talked about fear. And then she, you know, it's, it's, she was going into a cannibalistic country. 
the president was killing and eating people at that time. And um, and here she goes as a as a single lady. And she, man, she's just bathed. She's saturated in scripture and so obedient. But she remembered then that beautiful statement in 1 John 4 verse 18. Fear has to do with punishment. But perfect love. Who is perfect love? Jesus. By the way, 1 Corinthians 13. And that glorious definition of love that's often read at at, uh, weddings. It's not about weddings, but it applies. Um, But if you put Jesus in 1 Corinthians 13, everywhere the word love appears, it's perfect fit. Because that's Jesus. So perfect love, the perfect love of Jesus, what does 1 John 4, 18 say? It costs out. It's a very deliberate, actually strong verb. It costs out. It drives away fear. So friends, where there's fear in our lives, it's because, bottom line, we don't in that area of our lives know the perfect love of Jesus. And we don't have to be perfect to know his perfect love. He's perfect. And he lavishes that love upon us. That's what scripture says. So this lady, I think her name was Carol. She talks about experiencing a baptism of the love of God. What, what a beautiful picture. A baptism of the love of God and fear just fled. And I, I can testify to that. Very soon I'll be going on a trip to a closed country. Can't tell you where, but please pray for the team. But that's, it's in those situations when one becomes aware of the perfect love of Jesus. And what a, what a beautiful thing that is. Not to be real filled with fear, but to know his love. So we, we need to expect to be used. By, we've got to fit communion in here sometime before 10 o'clock. Um, we need to expect to be used by God. And following on from that, and I'm drawing this out of these two amazing events in this passage of scripture, we need to expect to see God at work. If we're going to expect to be used by God, it follows that we need to expect to see God at work. We need to expect Jesus to reveal his glory, to reveal his nature, to reveal his person and his character. It's the nature of God to reveal himself. Let's think about that. It's the nature of God to reveal himself. That's why we have the Bible. That's why Psalm 19 says, creation declares the glory of God. You know, it's wonderful. I just love hearing birds. I love waking up. They're they're getting up a bit later too at the moment, which is understandable. But to hear the birds in the morning, it's just one of the most beautiful things in the world. In some parts of Joburg, unfortunately, you don't wake up, you hear the birds singing, you hear the birds coughing because of the pollution. But it's beautiful to hear birds' song. And why does every single bird species have a different song? Because that's, they've been created that way to praise God. Yeah, they do it to talk to each other and to attract mates. But fundamentally, those birds, just like us, are created to glorify God. 
And God's given them a song to do that. I think the hardy duck came after the fall, bro. <laughs> Don't mess up a beautiful point. Bro. You owe me lunch for that. But while we're on it, I think mosquitoes, broccoli, and hardy dogs came after the came after the fall. God says, "Make a joyful noise." So I guess the hardy dogs in. It's just not joyful for us. But that's how they glorify God. God reveals himself. It's why we have the Bible, and it's why we preach. If God was not interested, interested in revealing himself, preaching wouldn't be a thing. I'm talking about biblical preaching, not motivational talks and fundraising. You know, you've got to worry. When the sermon before collection is longer than the sermon, then you probably want to leave that place. But that's why we preach, because God is at work and he reveals himself. And the things that we consider to be supernatural, like Aeneas being healed or Tabitha being raised, and just by the way, the stuff still happens everywhere. But that which we consider to be supernatural is just another day at the office for God. It's natural. It's supernatural to us because it's outside the realms of, you know, the laws of science. By the way, God wrote those laws. He can break them. He can manipulate them. But we need to expect to see God at work. Whether it's, whether it's a healing, praise God for that. Whether it's a resurrection, praise God for that. Whether it's a changed life. You know when I will know when the church in this community, which includes us, is really being the church in this community? When people drive better. That is definitely a sign of sanctification, which I lack sometimes. I will know the church in this community is making a difference when there's less rubbish When there's less domestic violence, responded to a call on Friday night, a couple, but one was a domestic violence situation. The husband actually choked the wife out. No, no, the other way around. The wife choked the husband out. He probably deserved it, but still, I'm not there to judge. But I saw the trauma in the children. I saw the trauma in the children. And that's what breaks my heart. But we need to expect to see God at work and we need to see these things change. When that level of society starts to change, maybe we're starting to get it right when scripture, when Jesus talks about being the salt of the world, being the light of the world. Salt does many things, but amongst those, it sanitizes, it cleans, it cleanses, it preserves, and it adds flavor. Are we adding flavor to our society or are we leaving a bad taste in people's mouth? We need to expect to see God at work in our own lives, 
and in the lives of others. That's what the disciples saw. That's what the church sees throughout history when we, when we take God at his word and we seek to trust and obey. Remember that song? Trust and obey, for there's no other way. Speaking about these events, J.I. Packer says, the spirit who is the author of all miracles and worked through Peter was directing his tongue at that moment and was moving his heart within him. By these words, Peter plainly showed plainly that he was only the minister of the miracle and that it came from Christ's power. We're just a conduit. Thus he ascribed all the praise to Christ. And here's the thing. God will do what he will do for his glory. He's not going to wait for us. But we will see more and we'll be able to brag more about Jesus if we expect more from him. God, what's your agenda for today? I'm, I'm walking through today expecting to see you at work, in the big and the small. You know, sometimes we're waiting for the grand, we're waiting for the spectacular, and we miss these beautiful little moments of encounter between God and, and somebody through us. Beautiful, beautiful moments. Where God touches people just because we are available and expecting the unexpected. So God will do his thing. And it saddens me that many times Christians say, well, I've never seen any of this. I don't believe this happens anymore. You know, the, you know what's really the scary part of that, of that point of view is that that is, an, that is an ungodly point of view. Atheists reject miracles, reject Christianity, reject the Bible because they've never seen it before. It's called naturalism. It's another ism. Just a rule of thumb. It's not, it's not 100%, but just a rule of thumb. If some word ends in an ism, check it out. It might be dodgy. Communism, atheism, communism, naturalism, Calvin, no, not Calvinism, I'm joking. <laughs> joking, joking. Don't take yourself so seriously. Don't take yourself so seriously. But most of the isms are a problem. And naturalism says, we live in a closed universe. We're in a sealed Tupperware box. And nothing happens outside the laws of nature or science. That's a very myopic view. You know what myopia is? It means you can look through a keyhole with both eyes. You're extremely narrow-minded. Extremely narrow-minded. That's the worst argument in the world. But I read this argument in scholarly commentaries. And it's extremely arrogant because if I haven't seen it, it hasn't happened. Woo! Expect to see God at work. And just to enlarge on that as we prepare to come to the table, 
we need to expect to see changed lives. We need to expect to see changed lives. It's heartbreaking when we don't see changed lives and we want to give up, we want to stop serving the Lord because it's not making any difference. We need to be faithful whatever the outcome, whether we see or not, but we should live with a sense of expectation of seeing lives change. And what a joy to see lives change right before our eyes. Thank you, Jesus, that you are at work in the lives of people. We need to expect him. Not demand, but expect him to transform our lives and our communities. It was attributed to William Carey, this saying, that I absolutely love. Attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God. Now, God does not always, have you noticed? He doesn't always operate according to our expectations. You might have noticed that. But that doesn't mean we stop expecting, but we need to expect the unexpected. We're not predicting, we're not telling God, we're not prescribing to God what he must do and how. We ask our Heavenly Father. We're children. We ask our Father. And he can legitimately legitimately answer yes, no, or wait. But he answers every prayer. Typically, if we say Jesus hasn't answered, the Lord hasn't answered my prayer, he said no, probably. Or he said wait. I had to tell a dear woman who was really mad at God. It was quite interesting. I said, as I want to do, I said something in a sermon and I got a green slip that challenged me to go see her. That's like saying sick him to a dog. So I, w- I got there and she told me she'd been praying for this healing. Told me the specifics for like 30 years. And nothing's happened. So she's angry at God. Now on a human level, I can understand that. On a fallen human level, because that's how we behave. But I had to tell that lady in her own living room that night, my dear, dear friend, have you considered the possibility that maybe Jesus said no 20 years ago? Or 25 years ago. Or he said, wait. It's not easy to tell people that. But I'd rather stand for the honor of God and the integrity of God than reinforce somebody's misunderstanding of God and misinterpretation of Scripture. But that had an amazing impact on her life. She had never thought of it that way. I was speaking to someone yesterday, just sharing some basic biblical truths, glorious truths, and they said two or three times, I've never thought of it that way. Our thinking is wrong. Our thinking is not biblical. That's our problem. It's not God. It's not the Bible. It's not our expectation, unless it's unrealistic or false, but if it's biblically based, it's our thinking that's wrong. 
just by the way, because sometimes people say, you didn't tell me the end of the story. What's the end of that story? So let me tell you the end of the story. After all those years of suffering, she got medical intervention. And she was healed. But as we close, let me come back. To, I think I've said that once already. That's a dangerous thing preachers say. But let's come back to, because here's another application I want to share with you. And it's from Aeneas' story, not from Tabitha's. But something that really struck me as I was looking at this. There he found a man named Aeneas, a paralytic, who had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, called him by name, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and take care of your mat. Immediately, Anais got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Just think for a moment. What, after eight years of being incapacitated, all the muscles atrophy, they're unusable. But what did it feel like to be able to walk again? Huh? Immediately. What did it feel like for him to feel that body, those limbs waking up? And blood starting to surge through those muscles. Bones and nerves suddenly responding to the brain again. Wow. Wow. But Peter says to him, you see, there's always at least two parts to any miracle. The part only God can do, but there's a part that we must do. Did he need a miracle to roll up his sleeping bag? Hello? You're still here? Or are you frozen solid? He didn't need a, he didn't need a miracle to roll up his sleeping bag. I don't know if it's a sleeping bag. I'm just, you know. Take up your bed. He had to roll that up. But he could because he was healed. And you know what I think part of the problem is with our sense, our lack of expectation, of expecting, of not expecting the unexpected. We're not carrying our mats. By that I mean we're not carrying our stories. Can people see the difference in our lives? Can they see a change in behavior, a change in attitude, a change in speech? Can they see those things? We need to carry our story. We need to carry the evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit within us. People need to see our mats. Can people see mine? Can people see yours? Does it cause him the question? See, people, when people are asking questions, they're listening to the answers. If we force answers on people and they're not answering the questions, they're not listening. But the way we live, there should be, you know, metaphorically, kind of a mat tucked under our arm, which is a story of the work of Jesus, the risen Lord Jesus in our lives. And people need to see that. I remember meeting someone um, who knew someone else I knew, and I know this this woman as a godly, 
gracious, prayer warrior par excellence. And when I met these other people, we found out that we had this mutual connection. And they said, did you know her before she was saved? No, I just think she's an angel without wings, you know. No, she was a piece of work. She was caustic. She was angry. She was abrasive. She was impatient. What? Her? Yeah, her. Wow. Wow. People should be talking about us a bit like that. You know, that, that, that creature never stops changing. They just get more and more like Jesus all the time. I hate it. It's annoying. But I can't ignore it. That's the thing about personal testimony. People might hate our God and not believe the Bible, but they can't ignore a changed life. They can't ignore a changed life. When Aeneas walked around, you know, and lit her with a mat under his arm, like, are you the, are you not? No, no, you're not. Yeah, I am. We need to carry our mats. As the old hymn says, redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. His child and forever I am. We should expect to see God at work in our lives, bringing transformation and to others. And there was a sense of expectation when it came to Tabitha. There's detail I'm not going into now, but there was a, they called Peter. Why did they call Peter? She's dead. He's not, a, he's not an undertaker. Why would they call him? He didn't drive around a van that says Avbo on the side. Why would you call him? When you get into the text, you'll see there was a sense of expectation amongst those people. Quite opposite to Lazarus, there was no expectation with Mary and Martha. Well, it was a bit, but here it seems to be more evident. But there's this glorious expectation. By the way, Tabitha was only partially healed. So, but she was raised from the dead. Well, that's partial healing. Complete healing is going to Jesus and getting our glorified body. And I'm not against praying for people to be raised from the dead. By the way, I've tried it. I'm not obviously not very good at it. But I've sincerely tried it when I've seen children drowning in the family pool, I've prayed, Jesus, please. And, and we should, don't be afraid to pray for that. Don't turn into a spectacle. But we can ask. He's our Father. Just don't ask for me. Remember, don't ask it for me. Now, as we come to the table... Remember the words of Scripture, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do so. Yeah, we do it in remembrance of Jesus, and we do it until he... Isn't that expectation? 
Shouldn't there be a sense of expectation as we come to the table? We're not going through some religious ritual. We're not earning brownie points with God. We are responding to the grace of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're doing it, and we will continue to do it until he comes.